Good, powerful words from the book of Psalm. Take heed. <laughs> Thank you, Abby. And the young ladies that came and did worship for us. Uh, these, are, these are kids from our youth group, from our church, and I'm just so blessed to be a part of their lives in such a way and just allowing them to come and bless us this morning. Let us continue in our series, Christ Revealed, this morning as we will cover another whole chapter in the book of Revelation. Turn, if you will, to Revelation chapter 7. Somebody's in dismay and shock that we would go through another whole chapter. Um, <laughs> we will go through it all, and then we'll take our time in it. So, Revelation chapter 7. After these things... I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard a number of the number of those who were sealed, a hundred and forty-four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Nephtali, uh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying amen blessed or blessing and glory and wisdom thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these among, uh, arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who, came, who come out of the great tribulation and wash their robes and make, their, make them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night 
in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Blessed be your name, O Lord. We lift up your holy name this morning. As we read your word, as we have already read your word, Lord God, through the Psalms and through Revelation this morning, Lord God, I pray your blessing upon your people. Lord, it is good for us to read your scriptures. Lord, this is our daily bread, Lord. And I pray that, Father, as we get to read to, to, to each other and to read by ourselves, Lord God, that your word would penetrate our hearts, Lord. I pray for myself this morning as I share this message that, Jesus, you would just help me to do a due diligence, Father, to look to you for guidance even as I speak, Lord, and that my brothers' and sisters' hearts would be open to receive what your word has for us this morning. Blessed be your name. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were here last week, we went through chapter 6. And I am assuming that most of you noticed that Revelation 6 only gave us six or covered only six of the seven seals that are on the scroll. Because that's what we've been looking at when we were talking about the scroll, that it has seven seals. And so we go through chapter 6 and we only get six of the seals. But don't worry, the seventh seal is coming in chapter 8. So what we have here in chapter 7 is basically a parenthesis. This is a parenthetical chapter, you know. It's, it, it's almost like, like we've gotten a brief reprieve <laughs> from the judgment that has been coming from the seventh, seven seals. It, the, it almost seems like this chapter just gives us a short stay of execution <laughs> before the final seal is opened. And as we see the seventh seal, you know that it turns into seven trumpets and the judgments come harder and faster and, and things like that. And so, so we get this, this stay of execution, basically, for just a short time, one chapter. As we've already shared, or I've already shared with you, the tribulation time is, where, is a time where, where Christ is revealed to the whole world. And even though it's not part of the church age any longer, there seems to be in that time frame a return to the way it used to be in the OT. It's almost like before the church age came into effect, and now it was not only the church age, but an age of grace. It almost seems that as we go into the tribulation, as we study the tribulation, that it goes back to the time of judgment. When you did something wrong, you got judged right away. Aren't you glad that we live in the age of grace? I, for one, would not be standing here today. <laughs> and you would probably not be sitting there either. We would, we would have gotten judged a long time ago. But thank you, Jesus, for the age of grace. The, 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 the church age began when, when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. 
And the church age will finish or will be wrapped up at the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. That is when the Lord will get back to dealing with his people, the Jews. You see, God, God has made promises to Israel through the Old Testament. He gave them promise upon promise upon promise. And God will be faithful to fulfill his promises. During the church age, the Jews have basically been put on the back burner. Not that he has forgotten them. God is still for his people. Even though it is the time that he is dealing and building his church, his bride, and he will receive her unto himself one day, he has not forgotten the nation of Israel. Through all that they've gone through throughout their, their time in existence since 1948, man, you have seen miracle after miracle, even though a lot of the Jews don't give Jesus the credit. Many of them don't even give God the credit anymore. Many of them are atheists at this point in time. But they are still his people. It's no surprise, man, when you read through the Old Testament, you see time and time again how the Jewish nation, they served God and then they turned from God for hundreds of years. And then he sent judges or, or, or judgments upon them and they, they turned and God would always receive his people. So for the last 2,000 years that he has been building the church, he hasn't forgotten about Israel, not one bit. He will re reveal himself to the world in this time. But again, man, most of this is just because he just loves the Jews. He will get back. And, and what we'll see in this chapter is that people will be saved during the tribulation time, both Gentiles and Jews. Guys, it, it is a time of redemption still. And I love that. Oh, the Holy Spirit won't be working like he's working in our hearts and lives today. It will return back to the way the Old Testament was. So verses 1 through, through, tree, through 3, it says, After these things. It's so funny because I told the girls, hey, make sure you guys don't mess up. <laughs> and then I had to tell them, I'm the one that messes up the most, guys, so it's okay. <laughs> I do that to encourage them. After these things, he says, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. It, it seems that after telling us about the judgment that is to come through the seven seals, that he wanted to remind the reader of the book of Revelation that Jesus is still revealing himself to the world. So he kind of takes this short little break in chapter 7 to kind of go back and, and reiterate the fact that he has not forgotten redemption. Even though judgment is the tone in the tribulation, redemption is still possible. And I love that about God because God is long-suffering. He suffers long. And aren't you glad for that? And what we see and what he shows us in this chapter is the kindness of the Lord. That even in the hardest of times, that like the world has never seen, it tells us, God is still in control and he is still willing to save. 
And there will be a lot of people, I was going to say millions, probably millions of people saved in the tribulation time. It says, And I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Now, it would not surprise me (laughs) that some Bible critics would use this phrase or this portion of Scripture and say, man, those people that wrote the Bible, they're so ignorant. They think that the world is square. That's how dumb they are, you know? And it wouldn't surprise me that they would use something like that. And some would even think that this is some sick blonde joke as to how to make a blonde crazy by asking her to go look for the four corners of the earth. But it's neither one of those. This phrase, this phrase has been around forever. It is a figure of speech. The four corners of the earth refer to the four points of the compass. From north to south, from east to west. And the idea is that these angels affect the entire earth, all the earth. In every direction, these four angels are set in in such a way that they will affect what's going on on the earth by the direction of God. These guys are not rogue kind of angels. They are there, they are set there and sent there by God himself. Now these four angels are not the four living creatures or else they would have been identified as that. So these four angels are different. These are coming to do harm to the earth, to the seas and to the trees. But yet they're being told, hey, hold back, (laughs) hold back the wind. These angels are commanded to hold back the winds or to, to hold back destruction to hold back judgment because that is what it is referring to when it's talking about the wind here. He's talking about destruction. Now, I don't know if you know this, but winds can be pretty devastating. Now, we we have no clue how that works because we live in feeling and it's hardly ever windy here. (laughs) Right? So we understand more than many people how destructive wind can be. But as I was thinking about that, I'm thinking, well, we don't deal with tornadoes. I mean, we might get a a dust devil here and there, but nothing like the tornadoes that we see in other parts of the country or the hurricanes that happen. I mean, sometimes it feels like a hurricane, but man, it's nothing in comparison to other places. So we know that wind can damage a lot of things in people's lives and kill people from the debris that flies and things like that. And it's interesting that these angels are sent out to harm the earth, the sea, and and the trees. And I found it fascinating that these three things are super important to some people who try to save them. And it's like, it's not man that's doing this. It's God. And, and, and I, just, I just think because people, and I don't know where you're at, you know, and I don't mean to offend, but I, I'm already here and I'm already going to offend, so why not? <laughs> man, there are people who worship Mother Earth. 
man, they are so into the seas and the thing. I mean, they, 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 they will go after the animals above human life oftentimes. And these people that love the trees, and it's like, I love trees too. This thing was made by a tree right here. <laughs> Guys, I'm not, I'm not anti, you know, t- taking care of our planet. We should be the best stewards of our planet. But I am not going to worship any of these things. And it's interesting that God sends his angels to go and affect what some people worship. So anyways, now that I got that out. As John sees these four angels, he also saw another angel ascending from the east. Having the seal of the living God. Now, this is not the seventh seal. I told you we're going to see that in chapter 8. This is a different seal. So what is this seal? Well, in the days of old and in ancient times, ancient worlds, kings, and those who were rich, basically, property owners, they would have their own seal. Oftentimes, you know, to, to, to show ownership or authenticity. It's much like a rancher would have a branding iron that, that, that would say, this is mine. This is what the seal was. Oftentimes, they had a ring that was a signet ring. And I remember years ago when I got to go to Israel, we went into this one place, and, they, and I don't know where the picture's at, but this signet ring was about that big. It was huge. But it was a signet ring that it had a, a thing, and you would dip it or you know, put some, some wax, and then you dip it, and you sealed it. Or some people just had a stamp, as we would look at it today. So this is the kind of seal that he is talking about. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, it gives us an insight as to what this seal was. And it says, Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, having his Father's name written on their forehead. This angel somehow goes around putting God's seal on a hundred and forty-four thousand men that would be doing the work of God. It's almost as if they get this protective seal put upon them. I don't know how noticeable it's going to be, but it is going to be straight up on their forehead. Now, I have a lot of room for a seal up here. (laughs) But I am not Jewish, so I won't have that. But it's going to be right on their forehead. And it's interesting because we see in chapter 13 of Revelation that the Antichrist will copy this same message when it comes to buying and selling in this world. To have some kind of seal or mark on their foreheads, on their right hand or their forehead. But during the tribulation time, God will use certain people to do his work. And God has always used people to do His work. Oh, He could do it on His own. He could use angels. And He has. But for the most part, He uses people. And that is interesting because we're imperfect. And yet that's who He chooses to to use. He could use His own Holy Spirit, and He does in people's lives. But the Holy Spirit can do 
way better job than we can, but he uses people. And here in the tribulation time, he will have a remnant of some sort, a, 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 a group of some sort that will be in the tribulation time and they will be doing the work of God. Just like he has done and will continue to do during the church age, he uses people like you and I to go do his work. And so these will have a seal upon their head just like you and I have a seal on us to go do the work of God. Ephesians 1 13 and 14, it says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. If you are a believer this morning, If you have asked Jesus into your life, you have a seal upon you, whether you realized it or not. It tells us that the Holy Spirit is our seal. He he has come upon us and sealed us for the day of redemption. He has protected us. And honestly, guys, to, to have a seal anywhere that we read about seals, nobody can open it or tamper with it except the owner. And God is the one that has sealed us and the only one that can really do anything for, to us or allow anything is from God. He's our owner. And so we have been sealed for the day of redemption. And it says in verse 4, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. He gives us a number Of how many people. Now, is it a literal number or is it just a whole lot of people? (laughs) I don't know exactly, but I will take it literal here. Okay? I will take it literal that he has numbered uh, these many people from the Jewish nation who will do the work of God. Now, granted, these Jewish men who will be from each tribe, I'm sure their families will probably be saved with them. So there will be more than 144,000, but these, these he, he has chosen and he has sealed them to go, particularly to go and evangelize the world during the tribulation time. This is where we are made aware that God is not done with the nation of Israel. When you study prophecy, when you look at the book of Daniel in particular, you know, there's the 70 weeks of Daniel. And when Jesus rode in on a donkey on that triumphal entry, that is when the clock stopped ticking and there was 69 weeks and one week was left. And these 69 weeks are made up of seven years increments. So there's one more week left. And that is when God will use the nation of Israel once again to fulfill prophecy. The seven-year period where he shows us here, I already have people designated for this. Now, it's interesting because most Jews don't know from what tribe they come from because most, if not all, of the records have been destroyed. But God knows. It's not hard for him. (laughs) 
He keeps records that nobody can touch. And so, so he, he fulfills this by calling these people out to come and fulfill the promises that he had made to them. Now, some think that as we read these tribes, some think that the church has taken the place of Israel. And that, that is not true. <laughs> that, that is what we call replacement theology, and that is not what we teach, and that's not what we believe in. We are the church. We're different from Israel. God still hasn't taken his hand off of Israel. He will use Israel. And if he has replaced us, then he could do away with Israel, but he's not done with them. And this, this shows us right here that his redemptive work is not done for the nation of Israel. He will go back to minister to them because Israel is still viable. Israel is still in the game, whether they realize it or not. We realize it as believers because we see that even in the political realm, man, Israel is like this big compared to this big of all the nations that are around them. And everybody is, is, is vying for that place. God is still in control, man. They should have been wiped out a long time ago. It's been tried. And they cannot succeed because Israel is still God's people. And God will fulfill his promises. And so when I see this right here, that God is not done with the promises that he promised Israel, then I am certain, I, I, I am so certain that God will fulfill the promises that he has made to the church. Because if he is willing to go back to Israel and bring them on board again and use them, then hey, he will not break his promises to us. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah had to say about the promise to the house of Israel. Jeremiah 33, verses 14 to 17. I'm giving you guys a lot of things to write down, so write them down. Jeremiah 33, 14 to 17, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness on the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called the Lord our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Isn't that interesting? He will fulfill those promises in the tribulation time with the nation of Israel. Now, the 144,000. There have been groups that have claimed to be the, the, the 144,000. For example, the, 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 the Jehovah Witness says they, when they started that, that their entire group was the 144,000 until they surpassed that number. Now they say that the 144,000 are the select group of Jehovah Witnesses who will go to heaven. The Jehovah Witnesses organization teaches that not all members of their group can take communion. Only 144,000 
called the anointed class have the right to take communion. And they are the only ones who will go to heaven. And I got that from the Watchtower, went online, Watchtower, um, February 15th, 1985. The fact, in fact, the 144,000 anointed class, which the Jehovah Witnesses, within the Jehovah Witnesses, are the only ones who are born again. And I got that from a website called CARM.org, and it stands for Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry. So you can go online there, and you can check out these kinds of things and others. But that's where I got that. So they claim to be that. Some scholars think that these 144,000 are the church, or that they are uh, converted Jews that still identify as Israelites in some way. But I, I, I think that verse 4 makes it really, really clear that they are from the tribes of Israel. Turn over to, and I had you, we read it, turn over to uh, Revelation 14 really quick. I want to read you those five uh, verses at the beginning of chapter 14. It, it gives us a better understanding of who these are. It says in verse 1, we, we looked at it earlier, then I, will, then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps they sang as it were a new song before the throne before the living creatures and the elders and no one could learn that song except the hundred and forty four thousand who were redeemed from the earth these are the ones who were not defiled with women for they are virgins they are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes these are redeemed from among men, being fr first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So it makes it pretty clear here. It interprets for us, the book of Revelation interprets for us who these 144,000 are. Because of the seal that has been set upon these 144,000, they will be believers of Jesus Christ and they will go out and no one will be able to touch them. Unless God permits them to be touched. Because that's how protected they are. God calls them for a certain position, a certain process, a certain time, and they will not be touched unless God allows it. They will be doing the work against the world system, which includes the Antichrist. They will be bold, and they will be a thorn in his side. And they will be a reminder to this world system, and to the beast, and to the Antichrist, that God is still in control, and that Satan is still limited by God in doing what he thinks he could go do. Now, I, I, I think, man, or, or we would think, man, that is so awesome that God will have people at that time 
to go and go preach the gospel to the world. But you know, as I thought about that, I thought, you know, we have that opportunity right now, don't we? Absolutely, man. We have the freedom to go and preach the gospel wherever we want to go. And you know what? You are just as protected today by His Holy Spirit than as much as these guys are going to be in that time frame. So let us go out with boldness because we are sealed and we have been sealed with His Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. Verses 9 through the end of the chapter here says, After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count, could number, of all nations, tribes, and people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This great multitude is not the 144,000. Okay? Some suggest that. And I'm thinking, I am not that smart. I am not a scholar by any means, but I could differentiate between verse 4 and verse 9, where there's a certain number here, and there is an innumerable number here from all over the place. And I'm thinking, because again, I read all these commentaries, and they give you all these points of views, and you're going, who would think this? It's people that think way too deep sometimes. It's like, knock it off. It's plain and simple. If I could understand it, it should be understandable. Because many times, yes, there is a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation. But by and large, guys, it's pretty, pretty upfront. And when you think you don't understand, just keep on reading, and he will explain it to you, just like the 144,000 of who these guys are. Chapter 14 gives us who they are exactly. And so, again, it's simply put that these are a great multitude that come from every nation, every tribe, people, and tongue. And I like what one guy said about this verse. He says, quote, We know that there will be, a, will be differences among people in heaven, just as there is on earth. We will not be all the same. We will be individuals. And I like that, you know. And, and I know some people is like, well, gosh, man, they're going to have clicks up there like they have clicks down here. It's like, well, I don't know if that's the way it's going to be. But what I like about it is that we're all, not all going to be robots or looking the same. We will be able to identify one another. And I get that even when, when the mountain of transfiguration, unless like Moses and, and Elijah had name tags on or whatever it was, or they introduced themselves, the apostles, Peter, James, and John, they knew who those guys were. They recognized them somehow. So I believe that, again, we're going to be able to recognize, and I don't think it's a bad thing. And if they have clicks, join one, and then you'll be in. <laughs> but we have studied, we have already looked several times through the book of Revelation about these white robes. And these white robes represent the righteousness of God and how He Himself clothes his children with these white robes and they speak of righteousness. They speak of purity and holiness. We can never claim righteousness on our, on our own. And neither will the tribulation saints. They will not be any more righteous than me and you are. As a matter of fact, our, our righteousness, both us and them, 
the Bible says, are like filthy rags before God. We have no righteousness in that sense. Any righteousness comes from God Himself. He is our salvation. He is the one that pours out these blessings. It is His blood that makes us white as snow. None of ourselves, guys. And I like that because, you know, oftentimes we think like people in other countries, well, they're better Christians than us because they go through a lot more. Guys, we go through a lot here too, you know. I I don't make light of any of that. And these tribulation saints are not going to be any better than you. Matter of fact, it's almost like, well, why didn't you believe before? Maybe we're better because we believe, not really. (laughs) But again, nobody's going to be any better than anybody else because everybody will have to claim the righteousness of Christ because he is the one that distributes these white robes. And the palm branches here um, in ancient days They they were an emblem of victory. When a king came home after a victory, the people would lay down palm branches before the victor, much like when Jesus entered Jerusalem. Here these saints are rejoicing. They're rejoicing over the victory that they have received for the salvation that God and the Lamb has granted them. They are rejoicing with all of this. Not because they did it, because he did it for them. And so they all jump in to worship. And verse 11 and 12, I want to read it to you through the Amplified. Verse 11, he says, And all the angels were standing round the throne and round the elders uh, of the heavenly Sanhedrin and the four living creatures, and they fell prostrate before the throne and worship God. Verse 12, Amen. So be it, they cried. Blessing and glory and majesty and splendor and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and might be ascribed to our God to the ages and ages forever and ever through the eternities of the eternities. Amen. So be it. I love that. Guys, if you're a a person who is new to Christ or you've been around and you go, I don't know how to worship. Guys, get lost in verse 12. Get lost in there. Get the Amplified. Bring it up on your screen. You know, tattoo it on your chest. Whatever you got to do. But you want to learn how to worship? Mimic that. Start blessing Him. Start worshiping Him, giving Him glory and majesty and splendor and thanks. I mean, it will go on and on and on. And if you think you're done, repeat it again. And it will bring you into that place where these in heaven are just worshiping constantly. And they never get tired of it. Verse 13 and 14 says that one of the elders answered and said, Who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And it's almost as if this elder wants John to ask him, who are these guys? And so because John does it, I think he's still like in awe. The elder answers and tells him who they are and where they come from. That these are the tribulation saints. These are the ones who have gone through the tribulation or got killed during the tribulation They gave their lives, and because of that, they they were washed with robes. 
They were washed white by the blood of Jesus. See, it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all our sins and unrighteousness. It's the blood. We're going to celebrate that in just a little bit, in just a little bit that we get to remember that. We get a glimpse of what these saints will be doing in heaven. And I'm sure we will be doing the same thing in heaven as well. God has saved us from the pit of hell. And he will save these people, not just from hell, but from the great tribulation. And because of that, we are to be thankful, just like they will be thankful. They will be thankful to God to the ages and ages forever and ever through the eternities of the eternities. And guys, that's where I want to be. To be able to worship our Savior even right now. You see, Jesus came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And He did it or He paid the price for it by dying on the cross. Today, you and I have the privilege to remember and reflect on what He has done for us. He died. Jesus Christ left His rightful place in heaven and made Himself of no reputation, the Bible tells us in in Philippians 2. He made Himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, Philippians says, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so this morning, we get to remember that. We get to partake in communion. That closeness, that fellowship that we are to have with Jesus today. That that we would never forget what He has saved us from. That we would desire to worship always because of who He is. And so I'm going to ask the ladies to come on up, the young ladies to come on up. We're going to partake in communion. I want to ask the ushers to come on up as well. We are going to hold the bread and we will pray over the bread. We will pass out the cup and we will hold the cup. And in that time, my heart is that you would reflect on the goodness of God. That He sent Jesus to redeem people unto Himself so that we might have life today. Eternal life forever, but here we get to have the abundant life. Isn't that amazing? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You and we praise You, Lord that we have this opportunity this morning, Lord, to look to you, to be able to serve you this morning, Lord God, to be able, Lord, to worship and honor you, to remember the finished work of Jesus Christ. Lord, he, he died on the cross for our sins. He hung up there to deliver us from our sins, but he rose again to show us that he had victory over our sin. And so we're grateful. And so we remember all of that this morning. We give you praise, glory, and honor for that, Lord. I want to ask that if there's anybody here this morning who does not know Jesus, 
that if you don't know him, right now is the perfect time for you to come to know him. Because as we pass out this, this bread and this, this juice, it will mean nothing to you if you take of it. Because you're still in your sin. And, and, and even though Christians sin every day, man, we have redemption, we have a seal upon us that if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And so is there anybody here this morning before we pass out the, the, the bread and the cup that needs Jesus? I want to pray for you. Is there any, just slip up your hand where, where you're at so we could pray for you and that you would receive his communion and now you can have this intimacy with him. Is there anybody this morning? I, I don't want you to take it if it means nothing to you. Father, we continue to just bless you and thank you, Lord, for giving us this, this time to remember you. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.